I think it's pretty obvious that Americans don't really like each other when it comes to politics, but there's also studies to prove it. Democrats and Republicans report disliking each other more than they like themselves. They also report in increasing numbers that they wouldn't even consider dating someone from the other party. Unsurprisingly, politically diverse Thanksgiving dinners are measurably shorter, by almost 30 minutes. This inter-party hostility has been blamed for why conversations across political difference could be so hard. Debates about civility have exploded in recent years, especially on college campuses. I think many of us, though, might have just accepted that Americans will find their political opponents inherently unlikable and evil. But does it have to be that way? Maybe part of solving this problem lies in how we talk to one another. Recently, I spoke with Hannah and Jasper, the co-presidents of the Umas chapter of We Listen, which is a nationwide campus organization trying to build empathy across the political divide. They think we can do this by having the right kind of conversations. Their bi-weekly discussion sections on topics ranging from gun control to free speech, they facilitate small group conversations between people with divergent political viewpoints. Hannah and Jasper are on the front lines of this issue, and they believe that we might have a lot more in common than we think. By the way, to make sure everyone can speak freely, I want to make it clear that all opinions expressed belong to the speakers alone, and don't necessarily reflect that of any organizations we might be co-presidents of. I found this to be a fascinating conversation, and I hope you do too. Coming up, what Hannah and Jasper had to say. This meeting is being recorded. We Listen has sometimes framed its mission as trying to put a face on the other side. What do you think Americans see before that happens? So I think for most people, they're not exposed to having a We Listen style conversation or people who disagree with them generally. The image is like a, like a true enemy, like something to be scared of. I feel like most people treat other individuals well, right? But it's when we get into large groups and large scale generalizations is where people start to have prejudices. And I think there's kind of a whole like machine in like the media and with both the major parties that kind of pushes people to generalize. Yeah, I think so. I think that that rhetoric is just kind of told over and over again across different issues and across time. That kind of storytelling is, I think, what mentally allows for a lot of people to just write someone off. It's kind of like two things, right? Like one is assuming what other people's viewpoints are just based on one thing. And that's kind of one of the guidelines that we have is like, don't freeze people in time. As And then I think it's also assuming that if you know what someone's view is on a certain issue, that it has to be for a bad reason. I, I wanted to talk to you about how we listen approaches conversations that, that might be different from how more hostile, say, like Thanksgiving with your in-laws conversations go. <laughs> what, what does we listen do to accomplish a, a less confrontational, more open atmosphere? One of the first things I think that we do that really helps is we have an entirely bipartisan content team that presents on the topic of our session before people start discussing to at least make sure that one, you don't need to know a lot about the topic before you come to one of our sessions, just to kind of have a, an agreed upon set of facts and information. It, I think it prevents a lot of the, the arguing that can happen over little facts or the way things are being portrayed. And I think it prevents you from kind of just running in circles over things that aren't really getting at the at the root disagreement. And then the other thing that I think is really what 
shifts the entire, it's so simple, but I think it really shifts the entire mindset of everyone who attends a session is the first question, discussion question that people ask each other when they get into their small groups is what personal experiences have you had in your life that have shaped your opinion on this topic? Direct personal experience, or it can be something just as simple as like, this is what I've always read about it, or just recently I've been more involved in it. I think framing the conversation from the very start from that perspective is really what allows people to understand why someone might disagree with them. It's kind of the first step that we take to maybe prevent people from using the stereotypes like Jasper is talking about to assume that the reason why someone holds a particular position is for bad reasons, honestly. They're, they're really simple, but I do think it helps entirely reframe the mindset that people have going into it. We Listen seems to depend on the idea that when people meet and talk and get to know each other as people with faces, that they really do share the same basic set of values and broadly agree on what like is morally right and wrong. This is something that's like a, a core belief of We Listen. Yeah, it's definitely a core belief. And I think just anecdotally, it's what we've experienced. I think, you know, we're lucky to have a lot of students who come like are, are self-selecting in the sense that they care about this going into it. Otherwise, they wouldn't have maybe necessarily been interested in coming in the first place. So I think that helps a little bit if the majority of people, you know, attending the session have that common value between them to genuinely care and hear what other people think. And I think people generally do share a lot in common and fundamentally care about what's right and wrong and can at least have some foundation on what that is. That's what I've experienced. It doesn't always look pretty or feel nice. And sometimes it takes a long time to kind of establish that feeling, I think, if, if you're consistently having the difficult conversation. But I think if you can walk away still feeling that way, which is kind of what we really try to do with We Listen, I think that's what we really want people to take out of it. It may be really uncomfortable at times, it's not always easy. It's really a commitment that you make in the conversation. And I think even throughout your life to kind of to put yourself in this position to have these conversations. But at the end, um, you should be able to walk away with that feeling. There are some who have a different philosophy to how we should approach like national conversations about big issues. Some feel that civility isn't a privilege that everyone gets to have. Someone who's immunocompromised might say that their lives are directly threatened by conversations that platform views against mask mandates, for instance. Do you, do you think that in cases like that, we should still take the same approach or should we make an exception? I do get where people are coming from. And I think something that we try to do is make it very clear that on certain things, there is kind of a baseline level of agreement that we all have to have, kind of like what Hannah was just talking about. But like, for example, in like a racial justice and policing, policing session, we made it like as clear as we could that this is not some sort of conversation over like, is racism good or bad, right? It was focused much more on the policy that comes out of it and know kind of the statistics and what we should do going forward. But we had to we have to make really clear going into it that at a base level, there's something that everyone agrees with and that we believe everyone should agree with. And for the most part, people do. Civility being a luxury. Well, I'm definitely sympathetic to it. I think it's a bit of a short-sighted strategy to get what you want across. Cause I think it's really hard to make change and like realistically, right? You're gonna have to work with people in order to make real change. You're gonna have to work with people that disagree with you pretty strongly on things. And I think it's pretty short-sighted to try and approach that without at least understanding where they're coming from. Yeah, this is definitely something that we talk about 
I mean, almost for every single session, you know, like how do we frame a topic so that we're not entertaining things that we don't think deserve to be entertained? <laughs> you know, we're, we're not here to provide a safe space for conversations over people's lives and humanity and dignity. Like that's, that's really not, really not what we advocate for necessarily. And I think if you're in a situation where that, like you're just not in a position where that's kind of the environment. Like if someone is really questioning, I think your dignity and your rights and your life, I totally understand how there's not really necessarily then a space for civility. Cause it's something that we've as a team have acknowledged that if that was the kind of conversation we were inviting, we wouldn't accomplish what we're trying to accomplish just as a core root of the mission of We Listen. You can be a really dedicated advocate and activist in lots of spaces. We have plenty of people like that on our team. And then you can also take the time to come together whenever that makes most sense for you to better understand someone um, who disagrees with you for the reasons like Jasper laid out. I don't think it necessarily has to be all or nothing, but I do think there's always a place for civil discourse at some point in the in the kind of continuum of a particular topic or political issue. There's always at least once, but I believe several times and the majority of the time to have that civil discourse, you'll get something out of it. Like there, there is really something, there's something to be gained there. And I think it actually enables people to then further promote their activism in other areas um, after they have that conversation. So yeah, I do think it's really difficult. Like if, if you don't have that common foundation with people, civil discourse is just, it's just not gonna come about. I know this next question might be a bit of a tall order. What do you think that common foundation is? It's such a good question. And I feel like day to day, it always changes, right? Like mm -hmm. some days I feel really optimistic about it. And other days I feel pessimistic because it feels like a lot is working up against this, right? Like there's legitimate issues with misinformation and the way it's spread online. That to me feels like, you know, like a serious barrier mm -hmm. to, to having common ground and like a, a real basis that we can all have a conversation off of. There's also some serious and legitimate concerns for like why we might not even be able to like express or realize that we have that common ground with each other. Um, Cause it's a really difficult, difficult landscape right now politically and just in general. Yeah. So I was going to say like, this is very high level, but I think that makes it a little easier for people to kind of find something that they agree on with it. And I think really, I think the common ground people will have on several different issues. And that's kind of how I came to this conclusion is thinking about a few different issues would be like maximizing the quality of life for as many people as possible, pretty much. And the way I think about it, right, is I think people generally disagree on how to get there a lot of the times. And if you think, talk about very contentious issues that deal with things that are really personal to people, I still really believe that generally people have their beliefs because they think it is what is truly best for the most amount of people, right? You think that they agree with you on the value of maximizing uh, quality of life, but you disagree with them about like what factually, empirically leads to that happening. Right, exactly. And you know, there are also going to be lots of situations where a group, their perspective on what brings the most like the greatest quality of life is just going to be wrong. Like just yeah. backed by statistics and evidence and just reasoning. We know that it's not going to be correct, but I think it's important to note that for the most part, they're not trying to be malicious. It's just what the conclusion that they've come to either through information or misinformation or lack of information at a certain high level, like a very, very high level, people still want what's best for other people. 
I, I, I want to bring the conversation to like the key takeaways you'd want listeners to get from this. It seems like one of them is to have more faith that people who disagree are, are coming with good intentions and often the same good intentions as you. What other things do you think uh, listeners should know? Civil discourse and interaction with people who disagree with you should be a part of your college experience. Like it's really not just something that we all do to like feel better and then move on and like never think about it again. Like it really is something that I think helps with your own personal development. Just having that perspective and maybe even just that second thought in your brain that can come to you more readily if you're engaging in these kinds of conversations of, well, is that characterization wrong? Is that, is that too overbroad? Is there more nuance here? And I may not necessarily agree with the nuance or agree with why it's a nuance, but what is it? Like if no one's talking about it, I at least want to know what it is, you know? That thought process, you know, we just believe is really important to like your personal development as a college student. It's something that I think applies in areas that aren't even necessarily related to politics. It should be actively sought out in a college experience. It's really one of the few times I think in your life where you'll have that kind of access and that invitation to do something like that. There's really more to learn about the people who you're going to school with every day and your peers and the people who surround you. And one that I think is pretty big for me because I'm someone who's I'm pretty stubborn and I'm pretty, uh, I don't want to say set in my ways, but I very much like being correct. And I think one of the biggest things that We Listen has helped me contend with is that like, it is okay to be wrong about something. Uh, As long as you're willing to take in more information and change, you know, maybe not even a huge change, but you know, like alter the course of your perspective based on that new information and you're still acting in good faith. It is very much okay to be incorrect on something civil discourse like really is possible. Like I think it's really difficult to understand what it looks like and what it feels like. I think once you experience it, that becomes much more obvious. It is possible to do both. It's possible to to really advocate for what you think is right and to not waver on the things that are like, you know, the line that you're going to draw on the sand and also have a conversation with someone else who may not have drawn that line in the same way as you. And take something away from it and learn from them. The objective is not necessarily to to convert someone or to have yourself be converted. It's to it's really to help you better grasp the issue going forward. If you better understand what the nuance is, you have a much better understanding of it. I think for me at least, it's it's given me more optimism in the context of politics because you can really understand what's at stake and what both sides need in order for this to be accomplished or for what you really care about, what you want to be accomplished. And then you can even identify then people in the greater political space who maybe are doing that, you know? But I think once you know more, like you really have a, a much more concrete grasp on these things, you can then identify much more clearly where it's working and where it's not. Just be good to people, you know? Like odds are you have much more in common with someone than you might realize. So that was almost 15 minutes with some very insightful guests, so it might be helpful to stop and debrief for a moment. Hannah and Jasper's hands-on experience with civil discourse has led them to a diagnosis for what they think is causing the bulk of America's political hostility. They think that it's mostly false stereotypes, these generalizations of groups like liberals and conservatives that portray them as essentially evil and dangerous. They mentioned also that they're encouraged a lot by the media, both parties, and social networks too. They said though that this is nowhere near an unbeatable problem. They recommended their two essential ingredients for a productive we listen style conversation. Starting with a common set of facts helps a lot, 
and the second ingredient is what they said can entirely reframe a conversation from a pointless debate to something productive and empathetic, which is focusing on personal experiences. By humanizing the way people come to have their beliefs, it's much easier to treat them with friendliness and understanding. You see them not as your enemy, but as someone who's had different experiences that led them to believe different things. Hannah and Jasper believe that once we can dispel our preconceptions of why people think what they do, there's usually a lot everyone does agree on. I asked them to guess at what they think that common ground might be. Jasper was confident that usually the most important thing for a lot of people is improving the lives of as many as possible as much as possible. Hannah mentioned a basic respect for our rights and dignity. This brings us to our last point, when civility might not even be possible. I asked them how we should approach conversations about issues that threaten people's lives. I mentioned mask mandates, but this also goes for issues like vaccines, police violence, immigration policy, and so on. How can we be civil when our lives are on the line? Their answer was clear. We can't be. Hannah and Jasper have made it a priority to exclude opinions that question the basic dignity of anyone because it's simply not possible to have a respectful conversation about them. Empathy-building conversations like what we listen aims for cannot happen before there's agreement that everyone matters. I'm going to steal something from Hannah and Jasper's book too because I, I want to briefly mention why my own personal experiences with this point make me want to emphasize it a bit more. The reason I mentioned mask policies in that question was because my grandmother got COVID around the same time that a really frightening talking point was becoming popular. A lot of pundits and even the lieutenant governor of Texas were saying outright that seniors should risk their lives for the economy. My grandma made it, but she didn't have to, and I wonder how much money her life was worth. I heard a lot of people with a lot of power on TV tell me that there's a price for something like that. Hannah and Jasper mentioned that writing civility off can sometimes be a short-sighted strategy for getting activism done and that it could help develop you as a citizen and that it's possible way more often than a lot of people think. And I'm not trying to disagree with any of those points. But when an idea that dehumanizing can become so widespread, I wonder if we can ever think of civility, however effective it may be, as an expectation. Either way though, I think what We Listen does is truly valuable and we could benefit by doing a bit of it ourselves. At the very least, we can make sure that we have less bitter, more productive conversations at our dinner tables and our workplaces and everywhere we can, really. I think that a lot could be done just by changing the way we talk to each other, and maybe that change could start with me. Maybe it could start with you. If you're interested in We Listen or going to a meeting, UMIS students can find it on May's pages, and others may want to consider checking if their campus has a chapter too. It very well might. We Listen's national website is welistenusa.org.